This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 279. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Matthew Marister, producer-in-chief. <laughs> What's going on, man? It's uh <laughs> It's good to be here once again with you. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. We had a bunch of great stories to cover in today's edition of the podcast. This being, like I mentioned, the 279th episode, and this is our weekly news episode where we feature a bunch of great news stories uh, throughout the industry and from across the great land of America and sometimes outside of America too. We've, we've talked about stories from Australia and the UK and stuff before, but Today is all U.S.-based stories. Uh, we're going to be talking about gun control in New York, in, in New York State, how that could change based on recent uh, e- uh, the elections that took place. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things at play there in New York, just as there are in a lot of other states as well. Uh, Colorado will be another one of those where uh, we saw everything shift over to the generally anti-gun side of politics in, in some of these states. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on some of these uh, gun control bills that are likely to be proposed. We'll talk about New York. We'll talk about things going on in Florida. We're going to talk about uh, a Harvard grad student asked to move out of her apartment after her roommates found her guns and found those made made uh, found the guns made them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's a really entertaining story, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Sporting Goods is considering removing removing all hunting gear from stores. Why does that not come as a surprise to me? Because their name because, because of their name. Because yeah. they're dicks, right? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> That's gotta be oh man. Anyway, so um Kansas City man was charged with murder after he shot a man he believed was in self-defense. We'll tell you why it wasn't. That'll be a good one. So stay tuned for that story. And then we have a bunch of other actual justified save stories that you're going to want to hear. You're not going to want to miss. We just added one here in the last hour of a a story out of South Carolina where a woman had to shoot an escaped prisoner. And uh, he was coming after her inside her home. It was a pretty scary situation, but she was able to get the job done. Great stories. All this more coming up. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our stocking stuffers sale. And Matthew's got all the details on that. Yeah. So the stuff, stocking stuffer is pretty cool. Um, if you're trying to get last minute little gifts that you can throw in there, um, we're running a deal with free shipping. So things like, uh, what's on there, the Alti clips on there, some new bold, uh, snap caps or training rounds are in there. Um, what else is in there? I'm trying to think, what is with the um you did you you got the email right Riley? uh probably but, but yeah i know there's i know there's some other cool items in there i just there's they're escaping my brain right okay. now so basically um, we have a stocking stuffer sale going on uh yeah go ch- go to our site check it out take advantage free shipping there's cool stuff yeah, that's and that's huge, right? Now we're generally, I think we're pretty reasonable on shipping here at concealedcarry.com. Uh, for most items, we have like a flat shipping rate of five bucks and like a dollar more for each additional item. There are some exceptions to that, but generally that works pretty well. Um, but there, we have a lot of these stocking stuffer 
items for sale and free shipping as well. So that's a, a, it's a great time to take advantage. Now, also today's episode is made possible, brought to you by our 12 Days of Christmas giveaway. We're super excited about it. Now, the giveaway has not is not starting yet, but now for the first time, I can actually tell you to go and check out the preview of what's coming up in that giveaway. You can see all the prizes that it's are going to be given away. Awesome. Yes, you go. You can you can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash twelve days, as in one two. The you know numerals one two numeral twelve. So concealedcarry.com forward slash twelve days, and uh, find out how you can make sure that you are entered into and qualified to possibly win one of these amazing great prizes. Uh, and I'll I've already kind of mentioned on the podcast, but. But the hint is you need to make sure you have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app installed on your mobile device. Okay, Android yep. versions available. Apple versions are available. Go to your respective app store, download. You know, you can search Concealed Carry Gun Tools. Do that. Find the app. Make sure it has our little hexagon, you know, logo thing, and uh, that that'll tell you that that is our app. Download it. And make sure that you have your notifications enabled because that's how you're going to hear about the signups for the giveaways. I can pretty much tell you that your odds of winning are really, really good, especially if you sign mm-hmm. up every day over 12 days. All right. Yeah, and, and the and the prizes are awesome. I mean, I wish I could get involved in it. So, um, prizes are awesome. Have you told them all the prizes so far? Well, I could preview some of that. Let's see. I yeah. know that we're giving away. Uh, a gun from Honor Defense, one of the mm-hmm. Honor Defense Honor Guard guns. That's I think that's the last day's prize. Uh, kind of saving the the gun for last, right? So that's that's uh, that's pretty cool. We're giving away a thousand dollar safe from Sports of Field. Uh, that's going to be really great. And uh, let's see, we're giving away some Cert ammunition, pistols. cert pistols, other training products, lights. There's a light package with. Uh, you know, weapon-mounted light, a handheld light, a couple other things, uh, holsters from I know Crossbreeds involved. Uh, I think we've got stuff from Stealth Gear as well. Yep. Uh, I'm pulling up the uh, uh, the whole shebang right here. Mantis right now. X, you can get a Mantis X. Yeah, pretty Th- cool. Those alone are you know 150 bucks. So some mm-hmm. of these days, you know, we're giving away you know 100, 150. Two hundred dollars worth of stuff. Some days we're giving away three, and you know, five, and a thousand dollars worth of stuff. It kind of gets bigger and better the you know further you go on uh, throughout the giveaway. Uh, one year supply of lubrication and cleaning supplies from Pig Lube. A oh, this is really cool. I forgot. I can't believe I forgot, forgot about this. Liberty Home Concealment makes stuff mm. uh, similar to if folks are familiar with Tactical Walls. They make uh, their 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 competitor. They make really cool stuff, um, and I think honestly are a little bit better priced in a lot of cases. They have a USA flag concealment thing, and it's really <laughs> cool. It looks awesome. Um, you can get a whole bunch of different shooting supplies from Caldwell. Uh, like I, I mentioned, the, the lights, it's called Jacob's Favorite Flashlights. So there's a, a number of these lights uh, in this package, $160 basically worth of lights. Um, holsters from Crossbreed, ammo from Grim Reaper Tactical, Mantis X, New Bolds, KD Pivot Plate Rack Kit, which is really cool. Uh, the whole kit, everything except for the two by fours, you get you know the brackets, the targets themselves. You can set up your own plate rack. Uh, it's not steel; it's this you know kind of self-healing silicone type you know target stuff. Matthew, you did a review on them; they're yeah. really cool. 
Yeah, uh, really, really cool. Really, really cool thing to, to train and practice with. Stealth gear has a bundle in here, next level training, yep, and the safe and the gun. So that's pretty much everything right there. Bam. Go check it out. <laughs> Concealedcarry.com forward slash 12 days. You can see everything and make sure that you are set up and qualified to win. So don't miss out. So I think it is time, Mr. Matthew, that uh, we fire up this week's Case of the Week from attorney Andrew Branca. Here we go. Thanks for joining us for the Law of Self-Defense Case of the Week. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. This case of the week involves a Montana man who reportedly managed to shoot his hunting partner just as they returned from a hunt to their cars in a Kmart parking lot. According to a ABC Fox News report, a link to which is found in the text version of this post. The shooter is said to be an NRA instructor in handgun and rifle. The victim was struck in the chest by a rifle round and died a short time later at a local hospital. Now, I haven't hunted myself in many years, but while I was actively hunting, it was my experience that it was rather common for hunting-related shooting deaths to be treated as accidents that resulted in no criminal charges for the shooter. I've always thought this to be rather inexcusable. If you're hunting with a firearm, you have an obligation to know what you are shooting at and to ensure that what you think is a game animal is not, in fact, a human being. Failure to do that is, to my mind, outright negligence, and the death that results ought to be charged as a negligent homicide. In addition, any time you're handling a modern firearm, it can only discharge if the trigger is pressed. It's on you to prevent that from happening unintentionally. This obligation ought to be particularly understood by a certified NRA instructor in rifle, which the shooter in this case apparently was. That said, even the traditional quote-unquote accidental hunting shooting could still result in a criminal charge if there was some aggravating factor present. A good example might be if the shooter was intoxicated at the time. Another might be if it turned out there was some pre-existing animus between the shooter and the victim. In this particular case, it presents a classic means by which a shooting death that might well have not been pursued by authorities suddenly becomes an extremely attractive case for prosecution. And that classic means is the presence of consciousness of guilt evidence. Consciousness of guilt evidence has to do with the recognition that the behavior and conduct of someone who believes they've done something wrong often differs in observable ways from the behavior and conduct of someone who doesn't believe they've done something wrong. Such guilty behavior might include things like lying to the police, flight from the scene for purposes other than safety, or tampering with evidence. In effect, such conduct suggests that not only does the prosecutor think the defendant is guilty of a criminal offense, apparently the defendant thinks the defendant is guilty of a criminal offense. Otherwise, why lie to the police, flee the scene, or tamper with evidence? One timeless and dangerous classic piece of self-defense advice is that if you shoot someone outside your house, make sure you drag them inside the house before you call the police. Why? to make sure the scene appears to be a more favorable self-defense scenario than was actually the case. I can assure you that when the cops show up and find a big blood smear from the sidewalk up through your front door to the body, it's not going to require CSI to figure out that the scene has been tampered with in a manner to make it appear more favorable to the shooter. 
That kind of tampering with evidence is utterly classic consciousness of guilt evidence. After all, why do it except that you don't believe the scene as it actually was was consistent with a lawful use of force? In this particular Montana case, the shooter has been charged not just with negligent homicide, but also with tampering with evidence, a separate felony charge. I expect it's highly likely that the negligent homicide charge was brought in large part precisely because of the presence of the tampering of evidence, that is, the consciousness of guilt evidence, and that absent the tampering evidence, there likely would have been no criminal charge at all. Indeed, it's noteworthy that the criminal complaint charging the shooter with both felonies, which we've attached in the text version of this case of the week, was sworn out on November 26, 2018, more than five weeks after the shooting, which occurred on October 21st. This suggests that the shooting was not perceived as a negligent homicide on its own merits at the time it occurred, but that this perception changed after further evidence was developed, evidence of consciousness of guilt. The complaint does not, unfortunately, specify the precise nature of the alleged tampering, but the summons on negligent homicide and tampering was issued the same date that the complaint asking for the summons was sworn out. Not only can consciousness of guilt evidence encourage a criminal prosecution, it can also result in a consciousness of guilt jury instruction at the end of a trial. Essentially, the jury is told that the prosecution has claimed that the defendant lied to the police, fled the scene, tampered with evidence, whatever the case might be, and if the jury believes that this conduct has been proven beyond a reasonable doubt, they are permitted to infer from that conduct that the defendant is guilty. That's going to leave a mark on a criminal defense. The bottom line, don't do things that will appear like conduct inconsistent with innocence to the police, prosecutors, judge, and jury that are going to be determining the lawfulness, or not, of your use of force. Hey folks, I also want to remind you about our Christmas extravaganza sale. We're offering 30 to 60% off our most popular books and DVDs. These make great gifts, and they're available on individual products as well as high-value bundles of products. The last day to order in time for Christmas delivery is December 14th. To learn more, point your browser to lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Christmas. I also encourage you to visit our Law of Self-Defense Patreon page where we have free Law of Self-Defense blog content and optional higher value paid content for just $4.99 a month. Plus, for patrons, a free copy of our best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, or a DVD, your choice. Find all that at lawofselfdefense.com forward slash Patreon. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branca for lawofselfdefense.com. There you go. Uh, another great case from Andrew. Uh, lots of things to consider there. You know, I mean, we have to understand that uh, people make mistakes all the time, Matthew. You know, where mm-hmm. they, they think they understand uh, how things work. They think they understand the law. They think um, a lot of things, and a lot of times they're wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think the biggest one uh, that I take away from this is every time I hear somebody say, like, well, if I'm justified to use deadly force, it doesn't matter. Like, it it doesn't matter what I do, what I say. It doesn't matter this or that. But, you know, 
in a perfect world, it does, or it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, you, you don't know what that one piece of evidence is going to be that, you know, maybe turns the tide and not so much as, as far as it goes to, um, you getting convicted of anything. I'm just talking about being dragged into court and, and, you know, typically, you know, we talk about these cases and we're like, like, it's a binary, like, decision. I, you know, if I'm found, uh, if I'm acquitted of all the charges, I'm good to go. Well, yeah, you're good to go. You're not in jail, but you're pro you're likely bankrupt and your life has just been turned upside in, you know, upside down. So if you can refrain from doing anything, um, Facebook posts and things, certain, certain, uh, you know, engravings on your guns and stuff like that, not to say that's going to cause a conviction, but it might cause you to go to court and have to have to, you know, justify those things. And that's not where you want to be. So, so um, I think that's kind of like where, where I was going with this. Um, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know. Yep. Yep. So true. Good thoughts, man. Well, let's jump into uh, some more news stories uh, for the week here. We've got from the NRA ILA, a story about retired, you know, so former Supreme Court Justice, John Paul Stevens. Oh, he is one of my favorites of all time. <laughs> JPS. Yeah. I remember, you know, I mean, for so much of my life, he, you know, he he sat on the court. Actually, pretty much all of my life up until you know, 2010 was when he retired. Uh, he recently has been making some waves, and he, you know, he he's he's well known for being anti-gun. Right? He was a stalwart on the court. If you if you were trying to win a case that was anti-gun, like he was your best friend, you know, you, you, you didn't have to worry about him. You could always count on him to vote the right way, quote unquote, <laughs> where it came to gun control matters. Um, so what's interesting is, is he got a, an upcoming book ca called the making of a justice. My first 94 years. Yeah. He's an old dude. <laughs> and he apparently says in that book, that he considers the Heller decision as one of the three worst decisions the Supreme Court has ever issued during his uh, 45-year tenant as an associate justice. And, and, you know, the thing is, is I don't even think he thinks it's legally a bad decision. I think he believes it's a morally bad decision. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't right. think he, and, and I haven't read the book, but I can, you know, judging from, from reading uh, a couple of the excerpts where it says, you know, he was, he had already m had his dissent in the Heller uh, decision case before the other justices have e had even seen the case. So he had already made his decision. And I think it, it was more of an ideology or ideological decision rather than looking at it on the merits of the law. because. Truthfully, judges have to do that all the time. Like they might say, you know what, personally, I don't believe this, but as, as it pertains to the law, I have to rule this way. You know, that happens all the time. Um, and that this, this situation, it seems like, you know, um, uh, JPS, you know, he was ruling not on the legal stand status of the case or the merits of the case, but on his personal opinion on firearms. And, you know, I might, I might, that might be biased in my opinion on, you know, but, um, certainly I think it played a role. Yeah, for sure. So here's one thing that I found really interesting. If you're reading this article from the NRA ILA, um, something that kind of stood out to me is 
you know, he, he, he talked about in his, in his dissent uh, that he, you know, wrote as part of the Heller case. Uh, what was interesting about this is he wrote a probable dissent. And I don't know how common of a practice that is. It's, it's probably fairly common. I don't know. Uh, I don't know that much about the inner workings of the court. But uh, five weeks before uh, Justice Scalia released his draft majority opinion, Stevens released his own probable dissent, and he wrote in that that he 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 actually said that he he had never done anything like that that he could recall before. But he was writing that and he was putting it out there, trying to do everything he could to switch the case before it was too late. He saw this as a, as a grave tra- travesty to rule in favor of Heller, and he was doing everything he could behind the scenes to sway the other justices to not make what he perceived as being a, a big mistake, which is a shame. And part of the reasons why he felt this was the case, because he felt that by, uh, that the Heller case would have repercussions as far as would likely lead to more problems and crime. Uh, he, he said right here, specifically the opinion mentions longstanding prohibitions on the possession of firearms by felons in the mental ear or, ill or laws forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places such as schools and government buildings or laws imposing conditions and qualifications of commercial sale of arms. I think he was feeling that this would change all that enough that it would somehow magically mean that felons and the mentally ill and others that shouldn't have guns, that they would, you know, that the Heller decision would suddenly change that, which is a bunch of bull crap. He knows it's not true, and that's that's why where I was going with it is it's yeah. more of an ideology, uh, ideological decision he made rather than a, a legal decision. Because like exactly what you're saying, I mean those those statements aren't even remotely true in right. what the Heller, you know, uh, the Heller decision did. And and truthfully, it's a big it's a big case, and we reference it a lot. But if you look at it on the whole, it's not. It's not that drastic of a con- – I mean it, it – you know, it gives – extends the right to to have a firearm in your home. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's not that crazy it's of a, pretty, a decision. It's a pretty limited case. Yeah, right? Yeah. So uh, – yep. uh, Well, there you go. So, well, Justice Stevens is 94 years <laughs> old. I, I don't imagine he'll be around too much longer, so hopefully <laughs> – <laughs> I don't mean to go there, but uh, yeah, I think what he had to say about this, and I think a lot of his viewpoints uh, as a justice on the court for many years were really quite irrelevant um, as it pertains to what gun rights really mean. But anyway, speaking of gun control, gun control in New York could get interesting. It's already pretty pretty rough up there. Um says here, Gun Control New York, this is a Democrat and Chronicle.com story, four ways laws could change. And we kind of touched on this a little bit following the election. I mentioned that New York is one of those states where, you know, we, we are likely to see kind of almost like a safe act part two, you know, the, the next phase of their wish list of those that, you know, the anti-gunners up there, what they would like to see and what they would like to achieve. And so let's just quickly go over and highlight what some of those items are. Uh, First of all, a red flag bill. No surprise there. Many other states are doing similar things or looking at what they are calling now. It's so interesting how, you know, we we morph what we call things like the the, the vocabulary, (laughs) right? Because when I first started really paying attention to these laws. Uh, we were talking about uh, extreme risk protection orders. And then we became focused on, it's a guy, a gun violence re- uh, 
a gun violence restraining order, a GVRO. And now everywhere, you know, the media uses the phrase now, red flag bill. You know, it's, it's like it constantly is a, a step, you know, closer and closer to like they, it's trying to make the language not seem too terribly extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, and red flag, red flag. Well, we, we we're used to hearing about red flag warnings where when we're talking about fire danger and all these different things. So red flag. Well, yeah, of course. Like we got to we got to make sure we pass red flag bills. Like what the heck is a red flag as it relates to. <laughs> You know, gun owners, uh, those with domestic violence issues, restraining orders, et cetera, et cetera. Like, what the heck is a red flag? <laughs> you know, yeah. like this is this is a totally new, made up term uh, that you know we're now calling the these bills red flag bills, suggesting that anytime a gun owner does something that's even remotely suspicious that somebody doesn't like, that they can therefore go file a restraining order against that person, which will result in their guns being confiscated, uh, typically on a, ter- on a temporary basis, but can be permanent depending on, you know, what the court finds. And in some, depending on how these bills are written in different States, it can either be what I think is really, really bad or just kind of bad. Like <laughs> really, really bad is, is, is a, is a very much a, a lack of due process protections for the individuals involved and other states are a little bit better in this regard in that there's a little bit more of a due process involved in order for that uh, restraining order to be put into effect. But anyway, red flag bill, uh, no surprise there that they would be looking to institute something like that in the state of New York. Uh, frankly, I kind of expect it. The next thing on the list would be bump stocks, all right, which is kind of interesting because we have this whole ATF ruling that is – likely to go into effect at some point here and yeah so like if it's outlawed at a federal level there's really no point in them passing it on the state level but okay no surprise there either um what's next there matthew uh let me see i'm trying to um expand extended waiting period for all purchases um so three-day waiting period which um apparently uh, helps somewhere somehow, but we all know it doesn't. Um, yep. So yeah. So you, you know, other states have have waiting periods for firearms. I know when I was in California, even as a police officer, I had to wait to get a firearm, which is crazy. Um, but yeah. Yep. Uh, let's yeah. See. You know what's interesting about the the New York system there is when they run a background check, it goes through the the same you know, criminal background check system that a lot of states use for, for this sort of thing, which is the national instant criminal background check system. And in now it says here, the system gives one of three responses, proceed, denied, or delayed. I think in many states, there's just simply a proceed or denied. Um, at least that's how it is to my knowledge here in Colorado. It's like either they approve you or they don't. And if they don't, and you feel like there's something, you know, done that that's not right, then you can appeal that. But, uh, in, in New York, if it, if it comes back as being delayed, then that triggers a three day waiting period. And so they're talking about extending that to 10 days, uh, to give investigators more time to look into possible criminal issues in a personal, in a person's background. Um, okay, whatever. All right. Social media probe for handgun seekers. And this one is really, really messed up. Yeah, it's out there. <laughs> so here in this, we talked about it in a, in a, in an episode a couple weeks ago. Uh, basically there's a senator from Brooklyn, was it? 
I'm trying to remember where exactly. Anyway, this and by the way, my computer's kind of being slow right now. <laughs> I'm trying to scroll on the story, and it's not really. There we go. Now it's responding. Senator Kevin Parker, yeah, Brooklyn, Democrat from Brooklyn. Uh, so he's a state senator, and he proposed this bill. And l- listen to this, guys. It would require handgun seekers to give up their social media passwords and search engine history to investigators when they want to purchase a handgun. And it would also apply to so-called assault weapons grandfathered in under the SAFE Act. It says, according to the bill, that it would allow the investigating officer to obtain, quote, any login name, password, or other means, end quote, necessary to review the applicant's social media accounts and search history. Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is this is insane. Like, <laughs> yeah, if this goes down, I I really feel feel for uh, for the people in New York. This is this is absurd. Oh, it's um, it's insane. And not, not, not just we're not, not just on the concept of it, but in the practicality of it. You, you know, it, it's it's when when these types of I think when these types of laws are presented, it really shows that the goal is not to affect any outcome of you know public safety it is to remove guns by any means and in this case it's by making it so difficult for somebody to get a gun they're just like i can't look i'm not going to go and and give them all this stuff and even if i do they're going to lose the password they're going to do this and that and say it's incomplete and all this stuff this there's nothing what are they hoping to get out of logging into somebody's Facebook. It's not that it's not out there. Any posts are, there are out there. Like, you know, people that say, I'm going to go and shoot up the mall on Facebook. Well, there's people that see that and just don't tell the police or they do. And the police don't act on it. Right. And so I just, this is, (laughs) this is ridiculous. It's just phenomenal. I mean, this, to me, this is the criminalization of gun owners just because you want to own a handgun you are treated like a criminal. You are mm-hmm. you are not given any benefit of the doubt. You are not presumed innocent uh, until proven guilty. You are guilty until you're proven innocent. Uh, we're not even talking about warrants here. Now, warrants are typically something obtained for similar type things. You know, where where investigators get a warrant from a judge that authorizes them to then dig into someone's personal information like you know in a this this typically would require a warrant to to do what they are talking about doing here but in this case we're not even talking about that and warrants plus are also obtained you would understand you would understand this Matthew uh you know with the uh, reasonable suspicion that a crime has occurred and with a warrant you've got to have very specific things that hey we believe that this person has done X, Y, Z, or that this person has such and such item, a weapon, for instance, hidden in their vehicle or hidden in their home. Um, It's got, you know, warrants can't be, you know, just for anything. Like, it's got to be generally pretty specific. Mm -hmm. But what am I talking about here? But even if we were, we'd be presuming that these people wanting to buy or obtain a handgun have committed some sort of crime. And it's not that at all. They're just trying to purchase something that is legally or supposedly legally protected by the Second Amendment. But no, they have to, as far as I know, the way this is reading, like volunteer, oh, here's the handgun purchase application. (laughs) 
and there's a there's a line, a couple of lines. List your Facebook, you know, account, uh, login name or email address here. List your password there. List your Instagram one here. Password there. You know, and on down down the line, they're going to go and take a look at this stuff in your personal account. Right, and I'm sure this won't get abused at all. Right, <laughs> like st- this this can't be bad. Right, like. Just yeah. giving out everybody's, like, giving your personal information to the government, it it, it can never go wrong, right? Yeah. Like, that's totally good. Yeah. My personal feeling is that this one is not going to get passed. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't see it. Um, and yeah. holy crap, we just went from one angry face reaction to like 50. <laughs> <laughs> All while talking about that. I'm not surprised because it's ridiculous, but I, I actually don't think it's going to pass because I think something... To this level, I think this Senator Parker from Brooklyn is woefully uh, mistaken and uneducated on the Constitution because if he understood anything at all, he'd go, you know what? Yeah, this is probably, this is unconstitutional. There's no way to get away with this. I Uh, think this is like chest thumping for, you know, theatrics for their base to say, look, I, I, I did this, you know, the, the Republicans are going to shoot this down or, the, you know, NRA is going to shoot this down, but I did what I had, what I, you know, I could, yeah. and they just blocked it. And, which, and Mark, Mark, he's asking, by the way, what state is this again? This is New York. So, um, now as New York does, so many other states attempt to follow, uh, now this may not pass, but if here's what I take as a warning from this. If you have people willing to go to this length, you know, on, on an issue, even if it's not possible that it'll get passed into law, if but if they're willing to propose it, if they're willing to go that far, this tells you where, where their minds are at, okay? Mm-hmm. And what else are they willing to do, all right? Okay. Let's move on now. We've got here, what's the next story? Because my computer's being slow, Matthew. A uh, newly elected Florida official promises audit of gun program. Um, so, yeah, so in Florida, they had some issues with their um, their concealed license or handgun license uh, program. And it was initially um, run by uh, at the Department of Agriculture. Um, so there, it wasn't really being managed uh, appropriately. And uh, there were a couple, they did an audit and they found that there were some inconsistencies with uh, employees not doing correct um, bookkeeping and, and issuing uh, or checking certain licenses and things like that. Um, so they're, they're going to revamp the, 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 uh, the, the new, um, I think it's the, uh, what is it, the newly um, elected agriculture commissioner, um, is they're going to revamp the whole program. And um, they fired the old guy, and well, the old guy is, didn't win the election. So right, right. Here, here's oh. here's the first thing that's really interesting about Florida. Florida elects an agriculture commissioner. Okay, I've never even heard of this sort of thing. You know, like typically most states, you know, you elect state offices like your governor, your lieutenant governor, your attorney general, state secretary of state. Mm-hmm. You know, all that. All you know, kind of those are the common ones that you see elected. And then things like an agriculture commissioner or whatever you might call them, (laughs) someone that oversees the state's agricultural uh, department or departments are typically uh, positions that are appointed. But in Florida, it's actually an elected position, which is fascinating to me. Like I think that's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so 
the the guy that's been running the agriculture uh it's actually the department of agriculture and consumer services now i i first learned of this department matthew a number of years ago when i was researching florida permits and mm-hmm. i and i learned that you apply with the department of agriculture and and consumer service or yeah consumer services like you apply to this department that doesn't sound like they should be running <laughs> concealed carry permits, right? Like right. you're like, whoa, how did this happen? And the story, by the way, is that NRA lobbyist Marianne Hammer, that many people are familiar with, she's done a lot of interesting things in the past. That she actually pushed for that back in like the early two thousands. Hey, let's take this this program of of run of uh, issuing permits and let's take that out of like kind of a uh, I think at the time it was in the Department of State, uh, which kind of makes sense. Um, but let's take it out of kind of a, a a secretary of state or a law enforcement even type role, and let's move that under our agriculture. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's interesting. It was actually an NRA, you know, leader, Marion Hammer, that 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 because of some big pushes that she was doing at the time that got this permit program in this department. So now the state, ele- and now, now I, I think this is kind of fair to point out, by the way, um, somewhat, and I'll touch on this. I should probably back <laughs> off a little bit here, but here, here's, here's where I'm going with this. It kind of, in a sense, makes sense. The logic at the time was let's put the whole permit process stuff under an office that is elected by the people. Okay, that kind of I can kind of see that, mm-hmm. right? At the same time, permit programs should really be run according to law that is established. You know, that's that's in statutes. It's statutory. Right. It doesn't doesn't right? go with the with the politics and of the so, day. So yeah, I don't exactly. So I don't know that it also. So I it, it, you know I'm kind of you know. I can see both sides. It kind of makes sense. Like, let's put it under somebody that's elected by the people, so that someone's elected by the people is kind of overseeing things there. But at the same time, it's like, well, statute, statute. And if law has been passed about, you know, how concealed carry permits are issued, well, then maybe we should have a, a department that just simply administers the program as according to statute. Anyway. Yeah. All right. It, and the the outcome was they had to revoke um, between. 2016 and 17, 291 permits, um, and a, an employee was f- fired because it was found she had failed to complete require, required uh, federal background checks. So yes, I mean this. There, I don't see anything wrong in this. I mean, I think it, it, something like this needs to be corrected because we don't want people to get permits that shouldn't have them, right? I mean, if if that's the law in Florida. And I'm not just I'm not advocating for required training or not. I'm just saying the law in Florida is set that, you know, you have to go through background checking to to get your license. And if that's the law, then it needs to be followed. Right. So yeah. you can't have people circumventing the process because they believe, well, we shouldn't you know, be required to have training. So I'm going to circumvent the process. That's not how you do it. And, and um, so, yeah, so it's probably a good thing that gets overhauled. Yeah. So, yeah, now I get that, right? Now, but I also have to ask, Matthew, I mean, here's the thing. Their concern, the, the concern here is that there may be some procedural issues in how these permits 
you know, how the process is followed, how the permits are issued, how background checks are done, and so forth, right? So there may be some procedural things there, okay? I understand that apparently they're already planning on, there was already plans to do an audit. But what, where the, where the, what the story is touching on here is that they're talking about taking it a step further and let's not just audit this, but let's also completely, let's, let's change a lot of things structurally as far as how this program is run and even take it out of this department and let's stick it under the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which honestly probably makes more sense. But, because that's how most states do it. Um, that's all fine. But here's here's what I think is kind of ironic in a way, Matthew. They're concerned about people that shouldn't have permits getting permits, mm-hmm. which I get. But at the same time, I think kind of the whole idea <laughs> in large extent, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, the issuing of permits is really just kind of a dumb thing anyway, because yeah. those that aren't going to abide by the law will carry a gun, will carry a gun concealed regardless of what the law says. And I actually suspect that those that apply for a permit knowing that there's a chance they'll be denied and then they do get denied, they probably go out carry anyway. Well, yeah, well, I kind of figured because of XYZ thing on my record, I'd probably get denied anyway. Well, I'm not going to let that keep me from carrying a gun, so I'm going to carry a gun anyway. What 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 a permit program does is it keeps, um, it keeps people that don't really, that they don't know that something in their background disqualifies them. It keeps those people from carrying. That's what it does. Right, the criminals already know they can't get a permit. Like I have a felony on my record. I'm, pff, why would I even bother applying? Um, right. The law-abiding people, well, the chances are like they know that you know I've never had, I've never been charged, I've never been arrested for anything. I, I should have no problem going in, applying, and getting a permit. Yeah. So there's this category of people that have maybe done a thing or two in their life. And they've most of the times they've probably turned their lives around. They they probably weren't even bad people in the first place. They just made some stupid mistake a lot of times yeah. in their youth, and they go to apply for a permit, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, you know, you did this one thing ten years ago, and you can't have a permit, right?" So, like that that's that's all a permit program does. So the whole yeah. idea that that a permit program is not being run the the correct way. And I don't, by the way, I don't, but just to be clear, I don't think that that sort of um, thing keeps a lot of dangerous people from having guns. No, it doesn't. Right? Because the danger, the really dangerous people will just carry a gun regardless. Right. Anyway. There are some things that having a permit, um, like I know in Ohio and some other states, uh, you can um, forego a back, FFL can forego a background check if you present a a valid permit. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Handgun license. That's true of a few so, states. It, and that's yeah, kind of cool, you know? So there may be certain things, but that's, I mean, to your point, is, is totally legitimate and, and very, very valid um, as far as, you know, it, it is just, it's a check and balance is really, it's not going to, it's not yeah. for public safety per se. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Speaking of which, I wish Colorado uh, had that policy as far as, I wish I could use my permit to just walk into a dealer and say, hey, I'd like to buy that gun. Okay, here you go. See you later. You know, that's how a lot of states are. Uh, And I think that's how it ought to be. I mean, that that background check to get that permit is a lot more in depth than just running your name in the system that spits it out in five minutes or 10 minutes and says, yep, he's okay. Exactly. All right. Let's move along now. Probably taking a little too too much time on these. Uh, Harvard grad student told to move out after roommates find her legally owned firearms uncomfortable. This according to Fox News. And I've seen this story a lot of different places. It's kind of been going viral to some degree. Um, Basically, you have a 24-year-old Alabama native. Her name is... Layla Perney, 
She told the Washington Free Beacon that she felt roommates violated her privacy after searching her room without her consent and then confronting her over gun ownership. She asked her roommates, why were they in my room to begin with? They each came up with completely contradicting stories, but one comment struck me in particular. We saw that you had a Make America Great Again hat, and come on, you're from Alabama, so we just kind of assumed that you had something. So because of some of her political uh, beliefs and or headwear, they thought, oh, she must be, and she's from Alabama, so she must have a gun. We're going to find that gun. So they went into her room and searched her room and found apparently a gun. I don't know if that gun was locked away or not locked away. Uh, either way, they, they discovered somehow that she had a gun. And <laughs> this is interesting. She, she also asked, why didn't you guys just call me and ask me before intruding? <laughs> One of the girls responded that fear took over her body and she felt compelled to search my room until she found proof. I cannot make this up, she says. <laughs> yeah, this, this is, I mean, I, I don't know. This is a little bit overly dramatic. And, and the sad thing is, really, is... You know, if you if you go into a lease and it says, hey, you can't have firearms, okay, you, you can not like the, the policy or maybe in certain jurisdictions it might not be a valid policy to be able to be instated. Um, but if they have some sort of policy against it, then you go somewhere else. But if there's not a policy against it and then the – and in this case, the landlord said – the, the other girls in the in the this uh, apartment said they're going to move out. And the landlord said, hey, if you don't leave, they're going to leave. And then you're going to have to pay for their rent. Yeah. So it, it, they basically strong armed this girl and said and, and just forced her out over what a, a perceived fear of something that if they didn't know it was there, they they wouldn't have had that fear to begin with because the girl wasn't violent. They didn't say she was violent or erratic or anything like that. Because she had a hat on, she's from a certain location in the country. It was. It, I. I just think this is really sad for for uh, for a girl to have to move out um, without even doing anything. It would be one thing if she was acting irrationally and she had a gun, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, we're you know." She, <laughs> but th- there's nothing about like it. Just having a gun made them uncomfortable. Yep. The irony of it is that she probably had that gun for a long time. They had no idea it existed. And mm-hmm. they everything was hunky-dory until, for some reason, they had the suspicion and they discovered the gun. And now the whole world just, like, implodes on them, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. An inanimate object uh, made them uncomfortable. Now, I can kind of see – yeah, I'm curious about how she had the gun stored, right? If she had that thing locked away – in a safe or whatever, and no one can access it except for her when she wants to or chooses to access it, then like it is not logical at all for them to make these arguments that they're making. If she didn't have it secured and if she also chose to continue to not secure it to where anybody that knows about it could just walk in her room and grab this gun, well, I can, I don't know, at least there's a little bit of a, okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Either way, it was totally inappropriate these girls would go into her room and search her room and search her stuff uh, to find this gun. And also inappropriate, I think, the the stance that this apartment manager took as well. So, all right, let's move along. Crazy story, though. Dick Sporting Goods, considering, you know, a few months ago, (laughs) they got rid of selling uh, ARs, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. They're not the only company to do that. 
but you know, it was kind of a big deal. People were upset about it. And uh, now Dick's Sporting Goods, and by the way, their sales have dropped. I think they said about 4.5% since they did that. Um, I guess that was last quarter, it says. Okay. All right. But now they're talking about just eliminating all hunting gear from their stores. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Okay, guys. More power to you. You know? All right. Whatever. Apparently, they've already run a test run. They've removed hunting gear from 10 selected stores. doesn't say where those stores are located. And uh, apparently, according to those 10 stores where they're testing it, the results have been positive, they say. Here's the funny thing, right? You've already alienated a lot of the people that are probably your buyers of that hunting gear. Mm -hmm. So they've already stopped shopping there. A lot of them have. And so, yeah, of course, if you run a test, if we just take all this stuff out of the store, uh, we probably won't see much impact. Yep. Probably because, you know, you already made the decision that caused people to stop shopping there for that kind of stuff in the first place. Yeah, it's probably in some Big. municipal area, well, some huge, like, you know, <laughs> metropolitan area, which a lot of people don't go for hunting material. They go for sporting goods and stuff like that. You know, they yeah. that's probably where they ran their test runs. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe it's it, it, maybe that's they're they're thinking this is going to be a good business decision for them. I don't know. God bless them. What what I what I could just about guarantee you is that their sales are not going up because of this. No. <laughs> but see, and, and I think, and, and, you know, you can like it or not or respect it or not. Maybe they're okay with that. Maybe they're saying, look, you know, we're going to stand by because we hate guns. We hate, you know, everything that has to do with it. And we're going to make a stand and they're going to do it on a, you know, moral uh, stage or whatever. But yeah. Well, that's what they did. They, they made, a, they made a, a policy change on principle that they felt is, is right for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's costing the business. And so now, like I said, I, I, I think it's cost them a business of, of that category of, of stuff anyway. So why not just get rid of that stuff? They're, those customers are already leaving uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. So yeah. they're they're just going to emphasize going after, you know, the soccer moms and the baseball players and the golfers. And that's fine. All right. Good for them. All right. Okay. Fortunately, <laughs> we have other places we can shop. Gun control in a doctor's lane. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this article. Just kind of give you a rundown. Uh, this article is written by a physician. His name is Mark Siegel. And uh, he basically talks about how doctors should not be trying to insert them into policymaking decisions as it relates to gun control. Uh, there's been kind of this big to-do about this uh, in the last couple of weeks Uh you know, the NRA kind of got involved. They, they said, hey, doctors, stay in your lane. And uh, so that got a lot of doctors upset. They said, this is my lane by responding with pictures and stuff they sent over Twitter that, you know, showing some pretty gruesome wounds of gunshot wounds. You know, these are probably would be ER doctors uh, that are treating stuff like that in an ER. And uh, yeah, like I get that. Like doctors see some pretty crappy stuff, you know, especially if they're working in an ER. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, in Chicago, right? And not too long ago, there was that shooting in Chicago where that one doctor in Chicago got shot by her boyfriend or whatever, you know? And, uh, yeah, so, okay. Now, this this article also seems to be somewhat inspired by, uh, at least there's a lot of similar thoughts and ideas as this other video I've been seeing going around that's kind of viral uh, by a guy, uh, his channel is... Uh, Z Dog MD, I think is what it is. And there's been video, this video has been going around. And he's also a doctor. And he basically says kind of the same thing like, 
he really approaches it from a really, really common sense, uh, sensible, uh, you know, angle. And I was really appreciative of that video that I watched. Um, and, and his whole point, by the way, was what, what, what is in our lane is providing care and we, we should be speaking up and encouraging and emphasizing the need for people to be, to carry a tourniquet with them, for instance, to be willing to use that, to get to training, to use that because that is what will save lives. Uh, our lane is treating these wounds and we can teach others and inspire them to, to do that as well. Um, there, it's been reported that the, uh, shooting at the, at the, uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh that several lives were saved because of people using uh, tourniquets, even improvised tourniquets on shooting victims at that synagogue. So that's how important it is that there are people that have at least some modicum of training. It actually doesn't take much, right? Training or applying a tourniquet is not rocket science. Anyway, um, Galen asks, does that include field and stream as well? Uh, He thinks it's the same company. Yes, there is a relationship. There is some kind of overall company that oversees dicks and field and streams. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. It's only talking about dicks, sporting goods. Frankly, field and stream is a little bit different focus of a store. So I kind of think that 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 would be really tough, right? Like if you got rid of hunting gear from field and stream stores, there wouldn't really be anything left for them to sell other than fishing gear. So just be stream. I'm thinking Dick's is becoming the athletic store part of that business, and field and stream will probably do the hunting gear. Would be my guess. I I, I didn't see anything mentioned at all that field and stream stores would do the same the same thing here. Okay, moving, continuing to move along here. NRA ILA reports it's this is your bread and butter right here yes (laughs) anti-gun researchers undermine the anti-gun narrative so yeah this story uh really kind of touched me in a special way because i've been (laughs) researching some similar (laughs) stuff basically what happened is you have a a a research report put together it's a joint effort between the violence prevention research center hang on, computer froze, our research program at the UC Davis School of Medicine and the Center for Gun Policy and Research at the at John Hopkins University. What they were looking at was that comprehensive background checks and prohibitions based on violent misdemeanors had, what, what, what effect did they have on homicide rates in California? And basically what they found is no relationship or no but, effect. Yes. Yep. It, those background, comprehensive background checks, and other prohibitions and other gun control that was passed in California back in the 90s and also even as recently as as just a few years ago. But, but specifically, they were really looking at, uh, let's, try, let's see here, the years 1981 to 2000 was the study period. And they had a secondary analysis in 2000 of, up, of data up to 2005. What they found is little to no effect or no relationship whatsoever between these laws that were passed and their effect on homicide rates in California. I've been studying something very similar because recently I was in I was intrigued, you know, I want I thought okay, let's go look at one of this country's bastions of gun control, uh, California, 
we're and things are going to get worse there. Unfortunately, uh, the way the last election went, what we know with their new governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, and others that are in power or will be in power soon in California, is that they want to pass more gun control, right? And so what we can tell you, I, I started looking at basically crime rates, particularly violent crime rates for the last 20, 30 years in California and looking at any sort of correlation, if there appeared to be any correlation. Now, I realize my own personal study is not nearly to the level or in depth like these guys are probably doing. I'm just looking to see, okay, they passed XYZ bill in 1994. You know, they passed such and such bill in 2001, whatever it was, right? And can we look a year, two, three years later after those major bills being passed into law can we see, you know, oh, well, hey, there was this little dip in homicide or aggravated assault or whatever. And I'm not really seeing anything. And in recent years, California has passed even stricter gun control laws. And what I could tell you is that for the last two years, some of those crime rates have gotten, like the homicide has gone up. Aggravated assault has gone up. Crimes committed with guns has gone up in California. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have to spend millions of dollars, you know, running the study, but, uh, <laughs> I came to the same conclusion. I, I'm, I'm still doing some digging into some of this stuff cause I'm kind of fascinated about it and I'm going to be, I haven't really read this study at all. I'm going to dig into it in depth though, because I'm really curious. I want to see what some of the deeper data sh- says and shows. And if I find anything interesting, I'll be, you know, sharing it on the podcast. Yeah. And, and that's why when I saw this, I knew it was right. You, you love this kind of stuff. So I was, I, I, th- I was glad I could find it for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So, unfortunately, because of time, I, there's a couple of things. I, there's a couple of points I'd really like to hit on, but we're going to move on. Go, folks, remember the show notes. You can go to concealedcarry.com forward slash episode 279 to see the show notes of today's podcast. You'll see all these news stories. Uh, you should go read some of these stuff. You know, these are really, really good stories, really good stuff here that you're going to want to want to look into for yourself. All right. So, let's move along here. Kansas City man charged with murder said he shot man who was trying to steal his car. Uh, so this is in the uh, what not to do segment. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> um, this one is, boy, it is black and white as can be. Isn't it, Matthew? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't give a, I mean, everybody right here is going to be like, uh, of course, this one. But, I mean, obviously there are some people that still don't grasp the concept of why you use deadly force. So here we are. Yeah. DeAndre Sims, age 24, has been charged with armed criminal action in addition to second-degree second murder. This happened in Kansas City, Missouri, and it was uh, Thursday afternoon. This is probably, yeah, just this last Thursday. Basically, he claims that, a, that the suspect, the, the man that he ended up shooting, or excuse me, the suspect claims that the victim, the guy that he shot, was trying to carjack him. He was sitting, uh, or he had gone into a convenience store. He left his car running. Mistake number one. DeAndre, come on, man. And while he was inside the convenience store, he saw this other man leave an SUV and try to get into his car. Sims says, DeAndre, says he left the store and shot the victim, stating he was, quote, defending my property, end quote. Mm-hmm. He added yeah. he didn't know Michael and didn't see that he had any weapons. This is a case of someone that has com- that is completely mistaken and misunderstanding of use of deadly force law. Absolutely, absolutely. I, it's just it's sad, and and you know we're kind of making light of it, 
but it's not because this dude is likely going to, I, I mean, I don't know if he'll get convicted of the secondary degree murder charge that they brought against him. Maybe it'll be lesser. Maybe they will get him on second degree murder. Um, it's certainly a pretty strong case based on like what we know, but I mean, we gotta be, that's why it's just so important to understand the law. This is obviously a drastic one, but there are other nuanced laws that you could fall victim to if you don't understand your state's laws. So this is kind of like a cautionary tale of like, this is a bad case scenario that everybody knows about, but there are some laws that you, you know, just you need to know, um, specific to your, to your, to your state. And that's why these, uh, uh law of self-defense updates and, and things that Andrew Branca does are in, invaluable, I think. Yeah. Yep. You got it. No. So, like I said, yeah, we made light of it. And it's because it's – to long-time listeners of the podcast, it is so obvious, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he very much clearly said he shot this man because he was defending his property. Yeah. Unfortunately, because of the interactions that I have with uh, folks on social media and whatnot, I know there's a lot of people that actually believe this, that they are allowed to defend property. And uh, that – there are a few nuanced, very limited circumstances where that may be permissible. And the one state I know that is probably the most permissible in this regard is Texas. And even then, here's the here's a big question I got to pose to you: Are you really willing to take the life of another human being over a car? It, 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 that's exactly the, where there were this. Sh- discussion should be you know not like can i do this is should you really do this if you don't have to like you know in in all cases in all that we know about this case right this dude was in no fear of death or serious bodily injury we're not even talking about that we're talking about you know would there be a let's say there is a law that would have given this guy the right to shoot this other man for stealing his car would you want to do that like, honestly, yeah. inside, think about rationalize it in your mind for a yeah. second when you go to lay down and think about if you have a son or a daughter and, and they make bad decisions in their life and they're homeless and, and they go to they jump in a guy's car to try to take it and they get killed. Would you think that differently about that law? Would you yeah. want somebody to have a little bit more restraint and more, you yeah. know, understanding about the importance of life? And so, yeah. it, you know, I think this is a, is a good we kind of laugh about it, but there is a lot of a lot of stuff we can take away from this. This is, this is a serious thing. This guy was willing to kill a man over a car. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Charlie poses an interesting question. He says, such as arson. Yeah, that's right. But guess what? Here's the thing about arson. Arson is, in many cases, a situation where deadly force may be justified because it's not just about the property that's being burned. It's about there's the potential for people within that property, within that building, within that structure that could die as a result of that arson. That's Mm -hmm. why, in many cases, arson is a permissible case to use deadly force. All right? And that may vary from state to state state as well. But that's the distinction, right? So here's the thing. Um, Regardless of what your state law says, I know there's people that would argue me on this point. Well, in my state, statute such and such allows me to, you know, defend my property. Um, Yeah, there might be some limited cases. But... From a moral perspective, this is what I want to. This is what I want to try to get across to you. Are you really okay with using 
deadly force with killing a person with taking a life and guess what you will pay the you will pay the price of that right even if according to the law you are okay to do whatever it was you just did you still will pay a price you will i promise you feel i don't i don't know this for a fact i just know it from talking to people that have taken lives all right i've not had to do it myself i hope i never have to do it myself but talking with a, a number of people that have had to do something like this regardless of the context they feel that you know that is a that is not an easy thing to to deal with even when it is completely justified and you know within your heart and within your mind that it's justified it's still something that people will live with for the rest of their life you have to put that into context you're willing to kill someone over a thing all right and i promise you if you if you get this right in your mind if you are I'm basically trying to make the case here, guys. I I'm hoping that you will have the mindset and the in the morality that says I am not willing to kill over things because I think that's the right approach, and it's also the right approach as it relates to a lot of statutes. Because if that's the if if that's what you keep in mind, if you only kill to save life, 99 out of 100 times you're going to be in the right on your use of force. It's not that simple necessarily. There are nuances, of course, but if that's the mindset, if you are only willing to take a life to prevent the taking of another life, of an innocent life, then you are probably in the right most of the time. Anyway. Yes, sir. That's I, I got to get off the high horse on that one now. So... Okay. Uh, Looks like we might have enough time for one one justified safe yeah, story. Yeah, well, um, I'm you know, seeing if I can push things back a little bit here. I did have a stop here, but anyway. Uh, okay. Woman accidentally shot by friend who tried to save her from attacking Pitbull. This is another what not to do sort of thing. And I uh, won't spend a lot of time on it, but basically in Las Vegas, you had a situation where some people were barbecuing. And woman, she was doing something with the food, with the plate or whatever, and a pit bull reached up and grabbed her arm and started chewing on her arm. Actually, you know, bit her hard enough it broke her arm. Okay, so that's yeah. that's pretty bad, you know. And she told a friend or associate or family member or somebody, I don't remember exactly who, she told somebody there, you know, she's she's trying to fight this dog off and it's not letting go of her of her of her arm, of her hand. She tells somebody, grab a gun and shoot the dog. And it's her dog. Right, like that's that's you know, but but she understood. Hey, this is this dog is going to really hurt me and possibly kill me. So someone grabs a gun and they shoot the dog and does kill the dog and it and it does save this woman's life uh, potentially. But unfortunately, the bullet passed through the dog and also struck the woman in the in the leg. Yeah. So the what not to do? Well, we we generally try not to you know, shoot innocent people when we're trying to defend them. Uh, that's, that's, that's an obvious uh, given, but uh, it, it, we don't know what the situation is like. And I'll tell you dog attacks. I, I've, I've never, I've not been, well, I've kind of had to fend off a couple of dog type situations, but I've watched videos of dog attacks. What, what do we know about dogs? They are, they move very quickly and they're mm-hmm. smaller. They're quicker on their feet than humans are. They shift very quickly. So obviously keeping in mind your, your, your backstop, uh, or you know what's beyond your target that can be tricky, right? Yeah, and this is uh, one of those things where uh, a little extreme close quarters training. Um, 
is really important understanding how to how to place shots on people if they're in grappling imagine this is you walk in and, and this is not a dog attacking a woman but this is somebody trying to rape your wife or or assaulting you know one of your family members and they're on top and they're running rolling around and struggling and, and you know you, you, there are obviously um techniques and, and uh tactics to use and to try to eliminate these types of situations because it is it's a very high probability that someone's gonna uh, that round might go through or that you might miss so uh so yeah she probably didn't take much extra training like that i'm I'm guessing yeah (laughs) so anyway just just know that shooting a dog uh in these kind of situations is very tricky uh but we we also need to be mindful of our of our, of our backstop or our, yeah. of what's beyond the target. Uh, and this could totally have been a situation. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what you're saying as far as this person may not have understood that, Hey, she, she might've had this person. And I think it was a woman. She may have had the mindset of I'm gonna shoot the dog and not necessarily concerned what's beyond the dog because she may have thought that that bullet's going to stop in the dog, but yeah. that's not often the case mm-hmm. anyway. Okay. First justified save story. One suspect dead. It says another at large following attempted robbery in prospect. That prospect is a, a, a town, I guess, in Connecticut. And this is according to NBCConnecticut.com. And police are investigating an attempted robbery in prospect that left one person dead on Friday night. Uh, troops were troopers were dispatched to an auto sales uh, uh, establishment, a business, after getting a, re- a report of an attempted robbery. Police said two men entered the store and began assaulting at least three people inside. During that time, one of the victims, who police said is a legal permit holder in Connecticut, fired at least one shot and both suspects fled on foot. According to police, one of the suspects struck by at least one bullet was found dead behind the store. The second suspect is still at large. So it seems very much a, a justified save, right? It, mm-hmm. it fits our fits our criteria. Um, but, uh, what, uh, what I kind of wanted to highlight, why, why I found this story somewhat intriguing is it kind of shows us, um, that when we shoot somebody, it doesn't always result in, you know, in a, in immediate incapacitation, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so this guy was shot, but he had enough in him to run out the door and run around the back of the building where he there expired. So that's just kind of a, a little real life reminder that, yeah, you can shoot somebody, but they can still go for sometimes minutes, sometimes just seconds, sometimes it's instant. But uh, yeah, interesting story here. Yeah, definitely. Next story: woman guns down a suspect after attempted robbery turns into home invasion. Yeah, this one's. Yeah, Detroit, Michigan. Why don't you give us the rundown on this one, dude? Yeah, so in Detroit, uh, police say a stranger in Detroit tried robbing a mother and daughter before attempting to break into the family's home. Uh, one of those women killed him. So a man in his 30s walks up to a, a woman um, and her her uh, daughter as they're walking to their car to go to church. Um, they grab her. Um, they, they don't know this man. They grab the, the woman, um, tries to pull pull her or accost her. Um she gets loose, runs to the house. Um, they get into the house and, uh, and one of the women inside the home, this guy follows her into the house, breaks into the whole house. They can't keep him out. 
Um, one of the women, one of the women inside the home ends up shooting this guy and killing him. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, I mean, and this is like how dynamic these types of situations can be, right? Like imagine you're sitting there, you know, your daughter's going to church or whatever. You're sitting there with your mom and having breakfast or coffee or whatever. And they bust in the door and dudes trying to pull them up. I mean, that's carrying your home or, you know, have access to it, but also be, be aware. Like you can't ever, I guess this is a tale about like, you can't ever really go into the black. Like just, you you can't really ever just check out and, and feel like, you know what, I'm in my home. I'm totally good. Or I'm just going to the store. I only carry, you know, this caliber when I go to bad parts of the town or I carry with the run in the chamber when I go this place, you never know when this is going to happen or how it's going to go down. So be prepared to, to deal with all of it every single moment. So for sure, boy, this, this story, you're exactly right. As far as the dynamic nature of this type of attack, starting out as a, uh, an assault, a robbery, whatever outside of the home, but then, you know, working its way into the home. Uh, so, so crazy. Uh, we, you've got to be aware you, you got to stay dialed in in an attack like that uh, to recognize that just because you get away from the initial attack doesn't mean that the attack stops. There may be a secondary no. attack that begins. Uh, and that's exactly what we had happen here. There's this guy forced his way into the home. Crazy stuff there. Um, let's see here. Armed Italy resident. This is funny because, you know, initially when I first saw the headline, I'm like, Italy? Why are we talking about Italy here? This is interesting. <laughs> um, Italy is the name of a little town or community or whatever in Texas. And uh, this was an armed Italy resident details near cat carjacking at Midlothian Brookshire's store. So this is a, this is a, a uh, you know, a grocery store. Uh, they're in Texas, and oh wow! Imagine this. Google wants me to answer a question uh, before I can finish seeing the rest of the story. It was up here earlier. This is so oh, wow. so ridiculous. Okay, now it's back. I had to answer some stupid survey question. Whatever, Google. Um, What's okay. your Facebook password? Right? Is that the question? <laughs> no, no. It's like like what do you think about such and such product? You know, oh, answer the question. You can see the rest of the story. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Google. Um, okay. So this guy was sitting inside a vehicle. He had dropped off his wife. She got she had gone into the grocery store to get some things. He's sitting in the vehicle just waiting for her. He's looking at his phone. Now, granted, we have to be careful. It can be very easy to get sucked into I'm 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 looking at my phone, right? And lose sight of what's going on around you. Fortunately, he says here, out of my peripheral vision, I see these two individuals walking across straight at my automobile. It was a younger man and a woman. The young man acted like he knew me. Now this is a this is a common t- uh, tactic, or not Absolutely. necessarily acting like they know you, but maybe you know a common one would be to just simply ask somebody, you know, hey man, you got the time, or hey man, you got a light, you know, like some common little, uh, you know, just a reason to, to getting close to you, exactly, kind of right. disarm you, and that's what happens here. Uh, the man acted like he knew me. I was looking at him. He puts his hands out and comes to the side of the automobile. Says, "Man, what are you doing here? I haven't seen you in a long time. I can't believe it's you." When Mike, the man, realized that he didn't recognize the man, it was already too late. He grabs my right hand, shakes it, and jumps into the automobile. The woman, he said, ran around to the other side of the vehicle and got into the back seat behind him. The man then reached under his shirt and motioned like he had a gun. He told me he was going to shoot me. 
Luckily, Mike's 40 caliber handgun sat in his black bag behind, beside him. In the tension of the moment, Mike had to make a choice, not knowing what was underneath the man's shirt. He said, the next word out of your mouth, I'm sending you to heaven, Mike recalled. I reached down, grabbed the gun, pointed it at his face, and said, let's go together. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, classic. Yeah. It's well, like a movie line. That is, boy, to, to maintain that kind of composure to, you know, to respond in, in a manner like that. Uh, yeah. Mike gets some mad props for me on this. Uh, you know, some of the tactic things we could be we could talk about as far as well, why wasn't the gun on him? Why is it in a bag? But clearly, he was still able to get to the gun mm-hmm. quickly enough to make this work. Now he said this as well. I couldn't explain to you how fast he got out of my automobile at that point. He jumped out the door in an instant. The girl jumps out, goes in front of the automobile, and they start screaming at me. The suspects, he said, started yelling how Mike had a gun and he was going to kill them. But their screaming was the least of Mike's worries. Good for him. He he was not getting any further distracted by, now they're trying to make it appear as though he's the bad guy, mm-hmm. right? To draw attention to themselves. Um, and now at this point, this is where it gets even more so, you know, interesting. Um, his wife now exits the store and is walking towards the vehicle. She's walking potentially into the into the situation. Yeah. He, this is so crazy. This is so scary, right? Now you got to be thinking, oh, shoot, my wife is right there. She is going to come here, and maybe they're going to do something to her, right? Yeah. Could turn into a hostage-type situation. Uh, we don't know that the man for sure had a gun. Now, it appears that he may not have actually had one. Uh, it, it never says that police found a gun on him. They did catch these two people. Uh, these two individuals went into the store after this, uh, they then exited the store. They were seen and they were caught by police. But there's so many great lessons to learn from this example. And Mike, I'll tell you, did did a generally pretty good job. Made yeah, some tactical errors. Job. You know, allowed the man get in close to him, too close. Didn't have a gun on him, but still was able to get to it. Still had it close enough to him. He was able to use it. That was fortunate for him. But overall, handled it pretty well. Uh, recognize the, the 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 new potential threat towards his wife. Uh, by the way, uh, it doesn't actually explain what if he did anything at that point to try to protect her. Uh, but it, it seems to imply that maybe something happened there that you know he was able to. Uh, it just says at that point that the suspects went into the store and he, and the man was able to be reunited with his wife and and he directed her to call the police. So somehow that was resolved. But uh, pretty, pretty crazy story here. Yeah. That one thing I wanted to add in this story, okay, do we ever talk about tactics, trigger, manipulation, grip, stance, anything? No, we yeah. don't talk about any of that. Uh, because this guy likely, you know, he did, he made some tactical errors. But what he did was the entire time he had situational awareness about him to the point where he saw these people coming to him. So he was able to, while he didn't initially see the, you know, identified as a threat until it was kind of too late. He was aware of what was going on. He was even aware of when his wife was coming out, he was aware uh, this whole time. So, you know, sometimes we get all, all geared up on, you know, tactic or all geared up on like, you know, how do we, our, our, you know, fundamentals where we deal with the, the firearm. 
but we don't talk about tactically how to position ourselves and how to keep our, our situational awareness. And, you know, avoidance is the best way to avoid, to, yes. to survive a, 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 an incident. Right. So, um, this, this is one of those stories where like, it could have gone a lot worse had these people already been up against the car and pulling him out of the car because maybe he wouldn't have been able to get to that gun and maybe they, you know, would have had a knife or, or something to, to, you know, incapacitate him or something. So I think the, my biggest takeaway out of this was his situational awareness and doesn't say this dude had any formal training or anything. Maybe he just, you know, was a kind of a guy who's aware of his surroundings, which is really good. Yes. Yep. Great story here. Now, Matthew, I think we're going to save for next week, uh, or maybe we'll talk about it later this week. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Actually, that may not be true, because I, I can tell you already, I can tease you folks that uh, I have uh, lined up, as of just a few hours ago, a, an interview with Chris Serino uh, for later this week, Thursday. We'll, we'll go live with that at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Chris Serino, if you're not familiar, he was on, on the History Channel's Top Shot, uh, I think twice. Uh, he did very well. In that uh, uh, reality TV show shooting competition, uh, he's also a respected trainer. Has a lot of experience training and instructing shooting and and tactics and all that stuff. Uh, he's had a career in law enforcement. Uh, he's a really really good dude, uh, really smart, well respected. Uh, so I'm lo- looking forward to having him on the podcast this Thursday. Once again, 11 a.m. Mountain Time. We'll go live on Facebook, and uh, if you can't make make the live thing, well, just catch it in the in the Uh, podcast feed. Final story here. Uh, So, oh, sorry, I was saying, Matthew, we'll cover that Tulsa story uh, another time. Uh, Because there's, I think there's some things we can talk about there. And and so we'll get to that. Armed woman kills South Carolina jail escapee who kicked in her door. This was a brand new story. This just came in an hour or two ago. A a listener actually emailed us that. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Michael, uh, which there's probably a lot of Michaels, but I think it was, I'm not going to say your last name. So it was a Michael, I think, that that sent this in. An inmate who escaped minutes earlier from a county jail in South Carolina was shot and killed by a woman after he kicked in her back door. The inmate was still in his orange jail jumpsuit and had grabbed a knife sharpening tool from the woman's kitchen as he headed toward her bedroom around 3 a.m. Tuesday morning. This is this morning. Okay, that's how recent this is. This is a big guy. If she hadn't had a weapon, there's no telling what would have happened, Sheriff Rick Clark said. I gave her a big hug. I told her how proud I was of her. The woman was home alone and had gone through training to get a concealed weapons permit, the sheriff said. Uh, And then also says that the suspect died from a, a gunshot to the head. Wow. So basically, there were two inmates that beat up a couple of guards at a nearby prison. Uh, they were able to escape. That's how this guy ended up out. And he chose to broke into this home, likely to take refuge. Uh, you know, maybe he was going to hold her, tie her up for for a while, hold her hostage until he could buy himself some time to uh, to, to to further escape and get away from uh, from from obviously these cops that were going to be trying to chase him down. Uh, she was not going to go easily, and uh, boy, she got the job done, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Kudos, man. This is a good, good story to end the night, you know? Yeah. Yep. For sure. Uh, this is, uh, I think about it cause you have a, a woman that's home alone, right? She, it's 3am. Hardly anybody's awake at 3am. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's Matthew, you know, last night he was <laughs> messaging at like four in the morning. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, 
it, it just, there's just so many opportunities for, for something to go wrong. And uh, she kept, she kept, it sounds like she kept her head about herself. She got her gun. She defended herself. She, she was in the room, or in, in her bedroom. I don't know that she woke up. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much time she had from the time she woke up to the time that she had to defend herself or if she, you know, was getting herself prepared and was taking cover in her ro- room and waited for this guy to come from, come to her. I don't know how that went down, but either way she handled it the way she needed to handle it. And, uh, she's alive to tell the tale. So we're glad, we're glad about that. Yeah. As always, uh, we, we love sharing these justified save stories on the podcast, uh, eye-opening stories a lot of times, so many things to learn, and hopefully it's helpful to you, our listeners. I know it is to me to, to read these things, to think about them, to think, how would I handle myself in those situations? That's what I try to do when I read these stories. Uh, I'm sorry we kind of had to rush, rush this a little bit. Uh, we had so much content to cover in today's episode, and I've got an appointment i got to run to, and, and so it's time to wrap it up. Matthew, you're such a, a good dude for uh, you know <laughs> being on here with me all the time. Folks Man, probably I wonder where Jacob you. is. Uh, Jacob will be <laughs> back soon. He just had a lot going on today. You know, It's kind of the way it is sometimes. So uh, a reminder to go check out uh, our stocking stuffer sale. Go to concealedcarry.com, click on shop. You'll see uh, you can click. I think there's a category for sales or something in there as well. So you, you should be able to find those sales. Uh, do that. And also make sure that you have the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app downloaded to your mobile device. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 12 days to learn about our 12 days giveaway. And uh, there's a link there too, I think, to where you know you can click on to go download the app if you don't already have it. Make sure your notifications are enabled because that's how you're going to get notified when the giveaways for the, the signups for the giveaways are going live and that'll give you the instructions of how to sign up and make sure that you're qualified to, uh, to get those, uh, to, to be in, be included in the giveaways. So it'll be a great time. We're looking forward to it. Um, it's time to, to let you all go and wrap it all up. So thanks again, Matthew. And thank you listeners. Appreciate all of your support. So with that, a reminder to train, right, train often and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.